back to Judging Book Covers, your bi-weekly book club podcast where we're going through Book Riot's 2021 Read Harder Challenge. <laughs> I'm Stephanie Cortez, and as always, I've got my amazing and wonderful co-host here with me, Megan Griffin. Megan, how are you today? I am excellent. How are you? Good. I don't know why I was getting tripped up on our I get it. Intro. I get it. It's been a little while. It has been a little while. Yeah. So it's been a crazy... Yeah. Did you watch Fear Street? Yes. Okay. I know we're going to talk. So we have decided to do an episode with Ollie since he read the Fear Street, one of the Fear Street books with us mm-hmm. to talk about these movies. But if you haven't watched them yet, go watch them. So, oh, so enjoyable. So good. So impressively good. Yeah. Yeah. I will also say the first one, 1994. The music was just like, this oh, feels so, good. so right. Yes. And then same thing with the 70s. Uh, not so much music in 1666 as one can imagine. <laughs> um, but, you know. <laughs> no. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I like how they tied everything. Same. Was related, like how they told the story, basically, that they're, you know. Yeah. I want to. Without saying too much. Rewatch them, knowing how mm-hmm. it all ends and see. Yes. And there's one question I have that I don't think has been answered. Which is... I have a question, too. <laughs> uh, something we will discuss in the episode. Before we dive into what we read for the podcast, last time, I believe you said you were going to read Up All Night, oh, yeah. a collection of short stories. Did you read that? Did you read anything else fun? Uh, so I only read two of the short stories. I did read other books. So I ended up reading she... a lot of stuff that was, like, by authors that I liked. But then I had one pop-up that I don't remember... Why it ended up on my net or my um, library hold list, other than the fact that there's a Netflix series. So maybe at some point I was like, oh, there's a Netflix series. I'll read the book. It's called The One. And I'm going to okay. tell you, first of all, the Netflix series is shit. Oh, okay. And it has <laughs> next to nothing to do with the book. But the book was actually really good. It is oh. about this scientist who has found this gene that it, the soulmate gene is what they call it. Okay. So if you send in a you know swab and send it in, they will match you with your soulmate. Huh. So then it's about six couples that are dealing with this. And you think, oh, okay, this will be like a fluffy like love story thing. No. Uh-oh. No. We got <laughs> a serial killer getting a soulmate. No. <laughs> <laughs> we've got... Um, not, the, not the turn I thought this was going to take at all. We've got... Um, woman gets soulmate but he died oh we have um the scientist finally finds her soulmate okay um so yeah it's just like oh this one guy is like engaged and she just wants like some last minute reassurance that like they are destined to be together despite the fact that i think they've been dating for like 10 to 16 years wow and she comes back with no match he comes back matched to a guy and him having to deal with this fact that, like, he's never had a thought about another man or anything like that. Oh. And then he sees him. <gasps> and it was, it just, it's a lot of fun. Like, I was expecting this, like, rom-com and it turned into the, kind of this, like, weird thriller. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, I, I highly recommend. Uh, what about you? What did you read between episodes? Sorry. That's okay. Okay. 
I read, so I, because of watching the first Fear Street movie, I said I was going to read the ones that I have, which, um, oh, the cat's trying to break in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I have, besides the cheerleader series, I have Fear Street, the wrong number one and the wrong number two. Okay. And then the best friend one and two. Okay. Um, so I did read those. That was fun to do, um, uh, to kind of go back to like early nineties because, so the wrong number starts with two best friends. One of them is doing the other one's hair and she's like, I don't know. You want to put this stuff in your hair? It's so crazy. What if I don't know how this is going to work. It's gel. <laughs> it's literally hair gel. And I was just like, I didn't realize hair gel okay. was that new. That doesn't make sense. I, I, I know. I feel like I need to go look. Actually, I, don't, I should look to see, A, when the wrong number came out, if it was late 80s or, or 90s. Oh and then when gel started being a thing. But the other girl's like, no, my mom's a hairdresser. It's totally fine. We're just going to put it on and then we're going to wait for my hair to dry and it's going to be great. And I was just like, okay. This is yep. amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I forgot about the first one. So the best friend is one where it's uh, like kind of like single white female. This girl comes back to town trying to be just like... Becca, who she says was her best friend and they when they were kids. Okay. And Becca does not remember her. She vaguely remembers her being in class, but not that they ever hung out. And then she cuts her hair like Becca and she starts talking to Becca's ex-boyfriend and all this other stuff. And like, Single do you mind if I spoil the end female. for you? No, go right ahead. <laughs> so, honey, they, um, she ends up... Becca's on a lot of meds. Oh, because also Honey totally tried to murder her actual two best friends. Oh, she shit. cut the brake line on one's bike and then shoved the other one down the stairs. Okay. So Becca is like, she gets a call from Honey and Honey's like, oh, Bill's here. Bill's her boyfriend. She's like, come over and hang out and da da da. And like, but there's like obviously something sinister. So Becca brings her like kitchen knife with her, passes out because of the meds. I think Bill is mad at her because she said that Becca knew he was there and Honey ends up stabbing Bill and killing Bill mm. and then framing Becca. Oh, my God. And in Becca's, like, medical stupor, Honey's like, don't worry. I'll tell them that it was self-defense. I saw it all. You defended yourself against them. I'm here for you. And Becca's like, she just says thank you. And that's, like, the end of the book. Oh, my God. And so the second one starts with a letter from R.L. Stein saying, you know, I got letters from thousands of you that you were not happy that Honey <laughs> at the end of the first one. <laughs> no, I love that. That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the second one happened. She doesn't get away with it. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. I was curious. Like, I know Sarah Fear is a character, and I feel like she was yes. the ghost in the best, or not the best one, the cheerleader. Or like okay. her grave or something. I need to find... Yes, it was her grave. Okay. I need to find the books about the origins. That's my what I was getting memory, to. Yeah. Yes. My memory of from the books, she's not a witch. It's, like, totally different. Basically, Sarah and, say, her friend Jane mm-hmm. are, like, off on their two life paths, whatever. Sarah doesn't want to marry Simon Fear. Okay. So she switches places with Jane. So Jane is pretending to be Sarah, marry Simon. Things are fine. The real Sarah pretending to be Jane, I think she dies and is super pissed because she's like, I switched, <laughs> you know, whatever. I and like, freedom, and yet. <laughs> and I died. So she basically possesses fake Sarah, so real Jane, okay. as an evil spirit and makes her kill people. Okay. And it's fake Jane with 
real evil Sarah inside of her that basically, I think she drowns herself on Fear Lake. Jesus. That's cursing But it capsizes the boat and Simon and his niece and nephew who Jane or, you know, fake Sarah really loved. Everyone dies. And all the bodies um, are like, the water is like scalding hot. So that's like another super weird thing. People are like, oh, the bodies are like fucking lobsters. Um... So yeah, that's my understanding. Okay. My vague memory. I think that's right. I hope it's right now that I told this whole story. <laughs> but I want to go find them because yeah. I feel like it was something like a swap and the person who died was super mad about it. No, I love <laughs> and that. so it became an evil spirit. Yeah, I love that they have changed that, but I also kind of mm-hmm. love that idea of like, I'm pissed and I'm... I'm going to come take this life back that I didn't even want yes. to begin with yes. because she. I, it's my memory. She didn't want to. Yeah, I, I was so. also sitting there being like, I wonder... They have to be reissuing these or something. You know, if this makes that happen and makes them easier to find, oh, I'm yeah. here for that. So Although I do need, that. I do want to find like a used bookstore yeah. store near me to try to see what I can recoup. Yeah, I definitely need to go see which ones I have and probably read them too. Yeah, so. I think I only have one other one besides the cheerleader series. Okay. Maybe I'll read that next, but not for the podcast <laughs> too. Those are, qu- they're quick they reads. They are quick reads, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was a lot of fun. Good. So, yeah. <clears throat> All right. So for this week's challenge, we were to read a work of investigative nonfiction by an author of color, and we went with Seven Fallen Feathers by Tanya Talaga. Yes. So did you know anything about the residential schools up in Canada or anything like no. Any of that. Like, I knew that they had schools. I didn't realize that they were mandatory. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was a problem with them even before, like, the recent unburial site or burial yeah. site being found. Um, because I've seen enough. Like, I have Canadian friends that are very much in the whole, like, why aren't you looking for these indigenous women that have gone missing? Mm-hmm. So, like, I knew Canada had a First Nation problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize how bad it was. Yeah. How about you? Did you know I, anything before? I did not. Okay. My grasp of history is not super great. Um, this was not taught in school. No. I. Oh, that's the other thing I was going to yeah. say. Was, I don't think this was taught in mm-hmm. school. Uh, my knowledge was just the recent reports of finding the mass grave yes. site at one of the residential schools. Um, so when this was actually on Book Riot's suggestion list, I was like, this is, I think I want to do this one. And if we didn't do this one, I was probably going to just read it on my own just to try to learn more. Uh, but I do, I really liked how she did this, where she wove the history mm-hmm. into each child's story. Yes. It wasn't just like, I mean, it, it's history, like it could be an info dump, it's fine. But it, it didn't feel that way to me. She humanized them as much yeah. as she could. And that's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, I guess <laughs> content warning, uh, if you haven't guessed by this point, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about some serious stuff. Yes. Suicide, drug use, assault, Al- death, alcoholism, murder. Yeah. Yes. Alcoholism. <sighs> okay. So where do you want to start? <laughs> um, do we want to start chronologically were like kind of one of the most well-known oldest cases sure which is uh Winjack. yeah in I feel like yes I feel like 
feel like that story really helps us understand Mm -hmm. the residential schools. Um, Basically, the schools, when did the first one opened? I believed in the 1870s, I think, was when they opened the first one. And it was all under the guise of, you know, got to save the native children from their, their terrible parents because they don't know how to, they've been, you know. Savages. They're, yes, basically. They've been living their lives this whole damn time, but just they've been doing it wrong, you know, because they're not doing yes. what we're doing. There was definitely a part where I got the Pocahontas song, Savages, stuck in my head because Ooh. it was said too many times in a row. And I just, Savages, Savages, barely even human. I was like, of all the Pocahontas songs <laughs> to be stuck in my head, this is not the one I want. No, I honestly could not have named any song other than colors of the wind <laughs> neither could i before this like i don't know why other than i mean i do because like especially how much hanging out with alex and, and doing podcasts with him uh he affects that side of my brain where it's like ah oh, words <laughs> ah the musical counterpart so i'm going to blame alex for this sure oh whoops so channy winjack um is not the first person to uh, have died in these residential schools. They've always been terrible. But... Yeah. Is, That's the thing also that just kills me about this is that they're like, we're going to do so much better for these kids than their own parents mm-hmm. can do to the point where they make this mandatory, like that mm-hmm. people go round up the kids and force them to go to school, like literally just ripping them away from their parents. Um, and these schools are just terrible. Yes, Like the... The buildings, I, <laughs> like, like very clearly asbestos everywhere. Yes. Um, yeah. They're, they, this was not to, like, it's so obvious this was not to educate kids. This was to right. minimize the First Nation population. Right. There was also the one where in the 70s, I think it was uh, 79, mm-hmm. there was an elementary school where there was a diesel spill. Mm-hmm. That leaked 113,000 liters into the earth r- un- directly underneath it. Did the school close? No. no. To the point where it didn't close until May of 2000. Which is insane. Like, yes. Five different types of mold growing. Teachers and students getting sick. Who's surprised? Um, but it's just. Ugh. It's so bad. Yeah. I feel like there was a Criminal Minds episode after about like of a similar storyline, like after mm-hmm. the fact or something. Hmm. Um, but yes, but yeah. So Channy, Channy Winjack um, hated the residential school. Obviously, decides to walk home, like to his not his boarding home, like his home home, to find his parents. And he's twelve. He's twelve. It is the dead of winter, and his parents live four hundred miles away. What gets me, though, is he, they ran away on October 16th, mm-hmm. 1966. It was him and the McDonald brothers, two other boys. But nine other kids tried to escape that same day. Yes. Like, what? There was some kind of planned, we're getting out. Right. And right. for whatever or reason. stuff just got so bad, yeah. that many kids just hit a boiling point where they just yeah. left. I, I will say it does not this like he froze to death. They didn't find him in a lake. Right. Um, right. But it was but he, very uh, clear something caused this and it was supposed to or supposedly caused the government to be like, OK, we need to go review mm-hmm. this and set up some new 
guidelines and um, I think like it wasn't even laws. It was just more like recommendations than recommendations. like recommendations. Yeah. And so. When he and the McDonald brothers left, they went to their cousin's house, got there, mm-hmm. and then a third boy had happened to show up who was another cousin or something. Right. So he was kind of the outsider, and eventually that cousin told him he had to continue on on his own, told him to follow the train tracks, ask for help, ask for directions. And yes, yes, the inquest definitely pointed out how th- someone should have been called yes. as soon as these kids showed up. Um, but let's look at the why, because it wasn't yes. until years later that one of his sisters was told that the older boys used to abuse them in the dorms at night, and that's why he wanted to run away. I do hate how much it is very clear that anytime something has happened, there's been a lot of focus on how the First Nationers are corrupting themselves rather than any investigation as to why things have gotten that bad. Right. Right. Because, yes, the older boys were abusing the younger boys. The teachers were also doing it, mm-hmm. were abusing the kids. Right. Um, and also, I think that, like, like, was it corporal punishment, like hitting the kids mm-hmm. as well? His sister, his sister walked in on a teacher assaulting a girl Mm -hmm. and then that teacher then found her later and beat her. And it is unfortunate how many of these seven like clearly have family members who had already gone through residential schools Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. knew how horrible these were and could do nothing for these kids. Yeah. Yeah. Or at that point, like the residential schools had technically closed down, although they were using the buildings. Yeah. But then you have the new boarding house set up, which the biggest one where a lot of the seven, was it five of the seven went to this school? Uh, They were all in the same town, but yes, five of the seven went to DFC, which I keep wanting to call DCF. Because I think the other school opened, but the other school wasn't better. Right. Right. Um but in order to go to that school, you have to stay at a boarding house. So you can't basically be a townie, essentially. Right. You have to be from out of town and stay with a family that's not your own, mm-hmm. who they get money to keep a roof over your head and feed you, but they don't, like, have to treat you right. how, say, your mom would or your dad or your grandparents. You know what I mean? It is similar to a lot of the issues we have with foster care, for sure. Yes. And then there's also the culture shock because a lot of them are coming from areas that don't have proper plumbing. They don't have clean water. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not the bright lights of the city. And then they come to the city and it's just like what there's just all like. Yeah. It's just culture shock. Yeah. I am going to use the word enjoyed in like quotation marks, I guess. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed the discussion of Christmas in this and like how a lot of kids had no effing idea what Christmas was. Mm-hmm. Cause why would they? Yeah. I think it was DFC that gave them a handbook of, Oh, you're now you're here. You're new to this area. This is what a stoplight is. Yes. This is how you have to stop at the street and look both ways. Like simple things that say you and I, well, because know. of where we yeah. grew up. No. Um, but where they had no reason to know because they didn't have stoplights. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, the um, 
the whole you can't be from the area thing comes into play <sighs> later. Like it does, and it's devastating. Yeah, take that as Stephanie's check off gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the inquest into Chani, the recommendations, even though there were there weren't laws, but recommendations of like more teachers, a study on the residential schools themselves and the philosophy, yes. like, is it working? Which is a great question. No, it wasn't. Um, also enrolling on a smaller scale because basically doing it this way is disrupting the family unit. All these things were things that will come up later on yes. that just were never addressed. Right. And it's also worth pointing out, Justin Trudeau's name? No, wait, is that mm-hmm. the actor or is that the politician? No, that's the politician. Okay. Well, who's the actor? Who was dating Jennifer Aniston? Oh. Hang on. Oh, shit. What is his name? Is his name? His name's not the same. No, but I oh think I'm God, just getting confused. Thoreau. No. Thoreau. It is Thoreau? Yes. Justin Thoreau and Justin Trudeau, I get confused. Oh, I think they were married. Maybe. All I know is that, like, I know one of them's an actor and was with Jennifer Aniston and the other is a politician. You had it right. Trudeau is the politician. (laughs) So Justin Trudeau's name comes up a lot in this book. Mm -hmm. And he is someone that, at least in America, for the most part, is shown to be a very good politician. And... The things that he's promised. I mean, it it really shouldn't be surprising that a politician has promised things that haven't come to mm-hmm. light. And right. but there's so many referenced in this book, and it just made me angry. Yeah, and not just him. There were definitely prime ministers before that who did nothing. There was um, in 1996 that prime minister, his government anyway, had a funding cap of two percent, mm-hmm. I believe, for the residential schools. Which, what are you what? didn't address the population growth like yeah. it, terrible yeah there's like no support yeah yeah but the residential schools themselves were shut down um in the 90s i did like i did hear like hearing about how they started the distance learning in the form of the first radio school yes. opening in 1991 that was really that cool that was really cool uh from 10 to 10 classes 55 minutes long turn on the radio um, but then it was basically like, okay, well, our student, our, our students still need schools. These mm-hmm. residential schools aren't doing it. So it's like, all right, they're going to be native run. They're going to be our schools. We're going to be able to do this. And they ended up setting up at some of the former locations yeah. of the former residential schools. Although DFC, I believe had asbestos yes. or something in part of it. So they could only open one section. Yeah. Like they had a plan. The they were like really excited about getting this building and, like, had, I think they went to another school and, like, the plan was to open by September or October or something. And they only could get, like, a fourth of the school open at that point. Because right. it was so bad. Right. But then it opens and a month later is when the first student dies. Yeah. It's. Do you have the name of the woman who was involved in all that? Is it Naomi? Uh, Norma. Norma. Damn it. Uh, Norma Kedjik, I believe. Uh, yeah. She um, helped open DFC. Um, actually, her middle son went there. Mm-hmm. And I re- remember the part where she said that he called her in crisis and she was very worried about his mental health. So she called his counselor and his counselor was like, I have a life, too, and told her off yes. and said she 
wasn't going to do anything. So she, Norma went and took her son out of that school the next day. Um, but she did have a nephew who did die by suicide after leaving the school. Uh, but he made a point to put on his DFC MVP volleyball jacket, which always stuck with her. Yeah. Like it was very, very clear. Yeah. I can understand some parents like getting a call that like this sucks I want to come home Mm -hmm. I don't feel good whatever and being like you're just a kid you just don't want to do schoolwork and you're blowing it out of proportion but reading how much of this how suicide like there are statistics about how I mean suicide is not a common way of death and it was not a common way for teenage boys to die and even less so for first nationers so it's like mm-hmm. when this suddenly spiked and nobody cared yep what do you do <laughs> yeah um and also the suicides to on the reservations mm-hmm. and, they and just thinking keep getting younger Yes, that was something that was pointed out was kids as young as 10. God. Where, like, common sense, I feel like, would tell you that that would affect, like, some of someone's friend or cousin or family member, or, just, or even just hearing about it happening back at home mm-hmm. would affect these kids. And you've taken them away from their support systems. Sure, they can call, but... It's not the same. It's not this. What did we all learn in 2020 yeah, we when we couldn't go see our family? Definitely <laughs> like, learned how much we need yeah. our families. Um, but, but yeah, it's just yeah. So our author very frustrating. Oh, go ahead. You're good. Uh, our author Tanya got involved in this because she was trying to. So she's a journalist and was trying to write an article on politics and and mostly like trying to spin it to a positive of like, look how this group of people, indigenous group of people have enough people that we could swing a vote. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. And the chief kept asking about Jordan, who is Mm -hmm. the seventh kid that we learn about, um, Mm -hmm. who has died in this town, Thunder Bay. Right. I think at the time he was still missing. He was missing, yes. He was just missing. Yes. Right. Yeah, because how long he was missing for was he the, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how she kind of came to be involved in this story and mm-hmm. to bring light to it. And that is, like, I don't know. All I think about is, like, missing kids on the news. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's never be and how awful that is <laughs> yeah but and something we'll see when we, if we when we want to talk about each child mm-hmm. just the blatant oh yeah disregard for their lives mm-hmm. the the cops do not care mm-hmm. the they they don't they clearly don't value the lives of these kids because it takes forever for them to get started and looking for them or putting something out in the media. When they find the bodies, they immediately think no foul play, except how can you make that assumption right off of that? It's incredible. And yeah, just 
Yeah, let's go ahead and just jump into these kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to start with the first one with Jordan? Jordan's the last one. Do you, wait, do we want to oh, go? No. Jor- Jordan was the first one chronologically. Jordan Anderson. Jethro Anderson. Oh, Jethro. Okay. Damn it. That's why I was like, Jordan's last. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> Did Jordan, I get yep. these all wrong? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes, Jethro. Jethro Anderson. Um, yes. Yes. He was the one who went missing a month after DFC opened. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 15. He was last seen October 28th of 2000, partying with some friends near the Cam River. But he was also a kid who never missed curfew. Mm-hmm. So his aunt and also boarding parent called the police and they just told her he was just partying like every other native kid. He's also 15. Right. If there's 15 year old kids drinking, go stop them. Yep. Yep. She ended up filing her missing persons report on the 29th and the cops did nothing. She called them every day for updates, nothing because they weren't looking. So, they basically just took it into their own hands and formed their own search parties. Um, I believe, was this the one where basically the different, like they came, they basically came from all over, right? I think so. Yes. Cause they found the shoe and like they kept calling. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Like the different. Yeah. yeah. Um, the cops didn't actually do anything until like, I think it was the 5th of November where they finally put something in the media. Yes. It was like and then when it, it was very clear something actually had happened. Right. His body was found in the river on November 11th. But like the other thing about the complete disregard for the indigenous people, cops and coroner never called mm-hmm. Dora, never updated her. She basically had to do all this on her, like find out essentially on her own because we had this, their the search. Right teams um, but she did view the body and this one I was just like I feel like there's more here like what there was a, he had a gash from his forehead up t- into his head mm-hmm. like that makes sense um, and then I believe she also saw like the he had syrup cir- burns yeah, yeah on his face yeah. but the cops immediately said there they didn't suspect any foul play no foul play it was an accident he drowned in the river right right because you know in North Canada, in October is when you go swimming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. and his hands weren't bloated with water the way you would expect? Yeah, like, he'd very clearly not drown. Like, right. there was no discoloration or anything. Like, someone right. had, like, recently dropped him in. Is this also the one where, like, the cousin found out years later? Yeah. Okay. A couple of years later, someone apologized to him for what he did to his cousin. Uh, but he, Nathan, his cousin Nathan, never told the police because he didn't trust them. And yeah. I, who could blame him? Yeah. So. So nothing came of that. Right. Other than the start of distrusting police. If they already didn't. Right. <sighs> I thought that was interesting, though, when she talked about, like, the residential schools, um, when those were open and how it was mandatory and how they would, cops just, they just go round people up, um, which definitely leads to a distrust. Oh, yeah. Thought about that with um, here in the U.S., like the Fugitive Slave Act and yes. just some parallels. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, there, there is a lot of 
looking to Canada to be like, ah, you are liberal. You are happy. You mm-hmm. guys have, like, health care for people. Canada, great. Canada, not great. Canada's right. still white. Canada's right. still colonizers. Mm-hmm. Also probably had slavery as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. They're not perfect. No. And not talking about the history, definitely. Oh, it shows right now. Just, yeah. yeah. So after Jethro was Curran Strang, mm-hmm. I believe. That's how you pronounce it. He was 18. This was in September of 2005. With his story, he was very, very clearly in a free fall. Oh, yeah. And no one stopped it. Um, his best friend had died by suicide a year and a half before that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was having all kinds of occurrence reports for missing curfew and drinking. And those reports were doing nothing. I think at one point he was grounded and, you know, he yeah. got assigned an essay. And They kept, like, making him sign something that was like, next time you'll be kicked out. And it was right. next time came. And so he signed something else. Yeah. Right. Um, he, uh... It was shortly before he went missing that he and a group of other students from his home, his their reservation, got called back because of two more suicides who ended up being his cousin and his friend. Mm-hmm. Came back, behavior immediately downhill. He goes missing and he was found in the McIntyre River. The second one in the river. Yep. Then there's Paul. Uh... Paul Panachies? I He was 21. Okay, I was about to say, I didn't get his age. So, 21. Yes. Okay. 21. This was in November of 2006, so a year after the previous. Mm-hmm. He went out with friends, played poker, went to a party, got home, 2 a.m. Mom hears him. They kind of talk to each other, like, through the door. He's going to make himself a snack. And all of a sudden, she just hears the thud. He just, he fell over and he died. Now, to put in perspective, if a teenage boy or early 20s boy dies, I think there is, like, an age point where it's, like, still you do autopsies in the U.S. Right. I mean, like, I feel like I feel like you'd probably do it for any age, but, like, especially a 21-year-old. With no, no medical issues. Right. This one was where they pointed out, she, the, our author pointed out how the coroner hadn't come to the scene mm-hmm. and how they're supposed to, they're really supposed to, because they see things that we don't, because we don't know right. what to look for, right. because we're not familiar with right. examining dead bodies. Um, but they didn't, he didn't come because I believe he said he was in surgery. Yeah, he was, I mean, small town, he was doing, he was also yeah. the primary something, but yeah, like. Right. But they did do an, an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Didn't find any drugs, I believe. Yeah, they confirmed But they drugs. also, they couldn't figure out what happened. Right. And then that was it. It was yeah. like case closed. We, we can't figure this out. We're going to close the book on this one. Not call his mom, yeah. which was the other thing. She didn't find out until nine years later what their report said, which was that they had no idea why he died. And on top of that, they threw out anything related to the autopsy after six months. Yep. Yep. 21-year-old guy dies. Mm-hmm. But, like, the idea that no one informs... It, oh, it, with a too. lot of these. Yeah, like... Like... Uh, they just assume someone's gonna be like, oh, well, I haven't heard. 
going on in my oh, way. Oh, yeah. My, right. My son's dead, but that's fine. Yeah. I don't need to know why. I don't need to know what happened. It's ridiculous. A year after that. Or no. No, same I'm year. Sorry, a few, same, or a few months yeah. after that, because it was January of 2007, is Robin Harper. I didn't get her age, though. Uh, I didn't either, but I think teenage was kind of implied. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was a teenager. Yeah. I was a bit blown away when, uh, so she's out drinking with her friends. Mm-hmm. They basically pool their money and get a guy to, to get them some booze. And I was blown away by what he got them. Yes. 60 ounce of vodka, three big cans of Smirnoff ice coolers, six 40 ounces. Mm-hmm. This is for seven teenagers yes. who they're drinking. And then... They're, they want to, was it that they wanted to finish up? Basically, they end up just chugging the rest yeah, of their Yeah, they ran out of, so they didn't think about mixers. Oh, my so God. So they tried mixing right. the vodka with the Smirnoffs, I think, or something. Something, or they were chasing it yeah, with the Smirnoff, and then which. When that ran out, they were just drinking it straight, which, yeah. And like. Right. I don't think there is foul play from the standpoint, like, she definitely died of alcohol poisoning. Like, Despite right. the fact didn't that have to. she never drank prior to this. They drink so mm. much. They drink. Especially because then they also were... The part about them chugging it at yes. the end to finish their what they got, I was just like, oh my God, please stop doing yes. this. This is so... The interesting part one for this one, though, was Robin's border mom, border parent Cheyenne, also worked for, and I didn't write down what it stood for, <laughs> NNEC. Um... It's basically like a group that goes around and like checks on the kids. Yeah, she's responsible like for basically or something. Yeah, they like they go looking for kids to to bring them home. Mm-hmm. Um, what I thought was interesting was one of her friends, uh, Sky, was it? Yes, Sky. She was also drunk, but what she remembers is Cheyenne showing up and picking them up bringing Robin home that they go bring Robin into the house. They come right back out to drive sky home. But Cheyenne says she wasn't there and that she only saw Robin when she went to, when she got home and checked on her at around 4 AM. So, and that they put her in the floor in front of Cheyenne's room and, um, like sky can, I think sky could confirm that she did call that emergency, but couldn't like, they couldn't confirm if Cheyenne had actually been there. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, like, take her to the fucking hospital. Right. Because 630 in the morning, they found her. She was dead. Yeah. That's the other uh, thing. The corn- she saw her at four and swear she was okay then. Right. It was the kids right, right, right. that found her dead. Right. And the coroner, again, didn't go to the scene and also didn't call her mom back at home. Mm-hmm. But they did note a contusion in the middle of her forehead, a purplish mark on her cheek, a contusion on her right knee. So it's like, did they just literally just throw her in the hallway? I mean, it could have been from because Sky was trying to drag yes. her at one point because everyone else ditched her, which was another thing. Like, like my God. There's a lot of terribleness in the teens yeah. drinking. Um, I yeah. also took it as potentially just the abuse in the house. I don't know. Mm. I don't think that. They couldn't confirm that. But yeah, there yeah. a good bit of that was probably from, you know, trying to get her home. That's true. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, she did die of alcohol poisoning and she didn't have to. Like yeah. everyone reacts to alcohol differently. And she's probably a tiny petite thing. Uh she was taller and bigger. I remember that okay. much. But still. She's yeah. also a teenager who does not yeah, drink. Like, yeah. And yes, they didn't know how much she drank, but God, it's scary. Yeah. And like if the cops in this town would just fucking bust up some of the drinking or something, like give a shit. Ugh, Be patrolling. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't trust them to I know I don't, but also part of me is not. like, man. Do something about the adults that are buying alcohol for kids. I don't know. Watch yeah. the liquor stores. I I don't know. But yeah, I also don't want like random indigenous teens getting shot so like fuck I don't right. know they should have taken her to the hospital Sky right. and Cheyenne Sky's a teen like and probably was very drunk too I don't blame her yeah. but yes like the fact that the reaction the adults wasn't should've... to take her yeah right what I did also find interesting about this one was that a month after Robin died the Ontario chief coroner sent a memo to all the coroners mm-hmm. in the province basically just going in on them about their practices that they needed to tighten up and really like reminding them of the things that they're supposed to do. Right. But then two months later, some revised guidelines came out that were very relaxed or much more relaxed. Yeah. Much more relaxed and basically gave them a pass if they just, you know, couldn't make it to yeah. the scene or yeah. Basically saying like, Hey, we did that cause the media was on us. But right. like also if you just don't want to go to the scene, that's fine. Right. Don't go to it's work. It's totally fine. Right. And then later that year, still t- 2007 in October, 16-year-old Reggie Bushy. Oh, this one. Yeah. He goes missing October 26th. His mom is not told he's missing until three days after he disappears. He w- his body was found in the water on November 1st. Mm-hmm. This one was the one that finally brought to light my question, which was because they're basically saying, oh, all these kids just drowned. Yes. They all just drowned. Reggie and his brother Ricky were together. They're both very strong swimmers. Mm-hmm. A lot of indigenous kids grow up around water. They don't drown, really. Yeah, like... At home. That culture shock thing isn't applying to a river. Right. They know how to yes. swim. And the occurrence of drowning on the reservations is not... Yes. ...what it is here. And so for this to be um, the third drowning in seven years. Right. Especially in the dead of winter again. Again, yes. Because, yes, October, depending on where you live and you're listening to this, October here is hoodie weather, but up there? Oh, it's, no, they've no. already gotten snow. It's, it's already, yeah. yeah. And so, like, yeah. and it was, in, it was supposed to be the third and fourth victim. Like, Ricky wakes up in the lake mm-hmm. or the river or right. whatever and, like, immediately and, like, tells someone that he was, like, standing in it or whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. his border parent is, like, no, he was soaked. Yeah. Like, he tells the cops, I believe, that he was, yeah. like, waist high. But when he got home, it was either the border parent or, like, border brother. Yeah. Who helped clean him up. And he said, no, he was soaked head to toe. Yeah. But on that note, with Ricky, who was also a teenager, talking to the cops, because Ricky was the last person to see Reggie, they questioned him 
multiple times, never informed his parents or even the border parents that they were doing this or asked right. him, a minor, if he wanted his parents present. Right. They Which were... I will bet they don't do to the white kids oh, up no. there. Because they know that they'll get a lawyer quickly. But Yeah. And they'll be in a shit ton of trouble. Yes. And for anybody listening, ask for your lawyer and shut up. Don't do what people do on TV and just spill your guts about yeah. anything. Oh, my God. Back to arsenic and adobo, who I just recommended <laughs> to um, the woman at my eye appointment today. <laughs> was doing, like, the preliminary exam. Yeah. Um, I can't, she asked me if I'd read anything good. And I was like, well, and I told her about this. And she was like, I was looking for something fun. And I was like, well, I have that. You can do arsenic and adobo. But me going crazy when her aunt is talking to that damn cop yes. in that book yes. like no please stop you have a lawyer yeah. Shush. this one seemed to be there is one there there was two more after this though um but this was the one that kind of started to mm-hmm. legally help it, it, i don't know helps not the right word bring attention uh, but bring attention to yeah. it because th- his mom, Rhoda, hired the Aboriginal Legal Services of Toronto and demanded an inquest. Mm-hmm. And then they also asked, demanded basically, that they add the other four children, so all five deaths up to that point. Uh, let's see. They also had that attorney, Julian Falconer, join the case. Mm-hmm. But then there was another um, case that kind of tied things up for a while that basically right. tied up the legal system. Uh, a man who was charged with manslaughter and the jury didn't reflect the population. I did appreciate so that, that conversation. That was a good conversation about yes. jury picking. Yes. And how like they wouldn't tell Rhoda and them, like they wouldn't answer to yeah. them about how the juries are like, why can't you answer that? Yeah. Like, but for the other guy, it was basically that appeals what tied up the legal system, which kind of delayed things on this mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but this was the Reggie's mom was the one who um, took that first step in getting legal counsel. Um, Ricky doesn't really remember, but he does know that their backpacks, like he swears they had backpacks and the backpacks had been stolen. And he mm-hmm. a- is kind of able to take them to roughly the area in the river where they found Reggie. Yeah. It's honestly a wonder he's not in jail. Yeah. That they didn't just set him up yeah, for this. Like, I don't know what saving grace came, but I'm so glad that it did. But truly, I it makes me wonder how many people are in Canadian jails for, mm-hmm. you know, murders that they didn't commit. Yep. And then a couple years later, Kyle Morrisot. Mm-hmm. Didn't come home October 26th of 2009. His dad was a famous, or I'm sorry, his grandfather was a famous painter Mm -hmm. and his dad was also a painter. I did love getting a little bit more of um, this home life Mm -hmm. and just the the relationship between the dad, Christian, and his son, Kyle, and then also his other son, uh, Josh, that he basically taught Kyle to paint. And there was the story that he told of how... Um, someone approached him about putting his work in a gallery and he said, okay, but only if you include some of my sons and his son sold, Kyle sold more (laughs) art than he did that day. (laughs) Um, 
but this is where we had we got to see um about going to D- dfc and the boarding house being a requirement because kyle didn't want to go mm-hmm. by himself but dad also couldn't leave the younger brother back home so all three of them moved but then he couldn't go to dfc because you have to go to a boarding house and it's like why can't he just go to school right and live with his dad who's literally here who uprooted his life essentially mm-hmm. but they did spend their time there he went to another school and it seemed like things were great yes like the adjustment for josh i would imagine but also kyle to the city life was a lot smoother because they had they dad. had each other and they had their dad yeah. it is also worth point out um jackson pollock uh, oh, yes. found quote unquote uh, his grandfather, grandfather like mm-hmm. to put in note of like how famous his grandfather mm-hmm. was yeah and I only say that because of course Kyle goes missing and mm-hmm. nobody's doing anything and so his dad is trying to leverage his father like this is the grandson yeah. of you know famous painter Right. But the shift that they talk about with Kyle after he starts at the school is just, God. he got like a 2% crazy. in an art class. Yeah. he So they end up going back home for the summer. And once Kyle's there and has an address that's not in Thunder Bay, where DFC is, a spot opens up, he can take it. So he took it and he was all, all set to go by himself. But like the drinking, missing curfew, and like he said, in an art class? Yeah. Kyle? Yeah. Like, alarm bells were going off, obviously, throughout all this. Mm-hmm. But the amount of alarm bells that go off with Kyle, mm-hmm. that the school is mandatory, but you can't be in the town. Like, they right. want to separate these kids from their parents in such a yeah. way that is terrifying. Yep. At the beginning of the book, our Arthur talks about how the residential schools under the guise of helping the savages that that bullshit it's basically it's cultural genocide you're trying to take the kids away from their their homes their families their language their tradition and stamp that out of them Mm -hmm. so they're doing the christian thing or whatever um this is it's not it's hard because this is native run so it's supposed to be better because it's like our people you know but you're still discounting or ignoring the fact of what your home, your, your home base, your family, everything that you know, what stability that can give you. Right. Ugh. And we got the Kyle's just, it's a very clear example of how he was thriving in Thunder Bay when dad and brother were there with him. Right. And then how it went the year after I wonder when they weren't there with him. If it's the natives or if it's the colonizers requiring the separation from family. Like, even though this is native run, I'm, I'm fairly certain mm, it still had to live up to certain guidelines and stuff. So I'm wondering if that is part of it. It's a good question. If they kept that, they were like, fine, we won't right. call them residential schools. But um, good point. I was going to say something else. What was I going to say? Oh, going back to what you were saying about cultural genocide at the beginning, I do enjoy the way that she put it in regards to um, the seven truths. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the, I don't really, I don't know what to call it, but it's part of um, a collective part of several nations up there's religion because 
she is a different from a different tribe, but also knew these myths, not myths, Mm -hmm. seven truths. Um, But like, you know, about how the kids had to rise up. Or everything. Oh, the seven fires. Fires. That's what it was. I was like, truth is yes, not the right there word. Yes, because there was, but there were there were seven of those. At the, I don't have my book anymore, but there were those seven at the very very beginning, like the first like page yes. or two, where it was like respect something like that. And then there was the the times of the seven fires. Yes. Um, and there was the yes, yes, the, yes, but yes basically, where the kids needed to rise up or it'd be all lost. Yes, and that very much is what is happening here. mm Hmm. Like, that was dark. Yeah. And I... Because it happened so early that I wasn't like, dead kids, yeah. But I was like, I forgot how much I love creation myths and, you know, looking into all that stuff. And yes, I include the Bible in that. But, like, <laughs> reading, you know, legends and stories and things like... Like, I I don't know. There was something about it I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I love this stuff. And then it was like... Not the death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Kyle's also found in the McIntyre River. He had burn holes in the upper front of his pants and also a tear on the outside of his left thighs and abrasions on both shins. He had apparently been hanging out with a guy named Ivan that night that he disappeared, but it took the cops two full weeks to actually bother interviewing Ivan was in jail by that point or am I thinking yeah he got he got arrested for something yeah. unrelated yeah and it was like well he was literally right there yeah like wasn't like you had to go find him right you had him and then after Kyle in 2011 is when we have Jordan the young man who is missing at the time that the author goes to interview the chief grand chief Stan Beardy and he won't answer her any questions about any of her questions about the election um, he had been out drinking with friends. Um, this was the one where the the records basically show that the cops had the wrong date for when he was last yes. seen. And I think we all know time is of the essence in a missing persons case. Mm-hmm. Um, if they didn't do their... I was hmm? just going to say, if crime TV hasn't taught us anything, right. 48 hours, <laughs> 72. Right. Um, but he went missing on February 7th. The police didn't do their first ground search until February 11th. Yep. Yep. His hat was found. Oh, he was another one where the different. Yes. Maybe it was yeah. his shoe and it was someone else. I don't. Either way. Like. I think. Yes, it was because his hat was found first. Right. And then in March, they found the Cat Lake First Nation searchers mm-hmm. found his shoe, and they also saw drag marks near it. But the cops said it was probably just kids sledding. Yes, like what the fuck? Yep. And his body was found in May. May tenth is when in the river. Ninety-two days. Yep. Does this river not freeze? Maybe like no. in February, I feel like this river would have been frozen, but whatever. That is not like the important part. Like, I guess part of me is like 92 days. Is that why it took you guys so well, long? Oh. But also like, I think it does because I believe it might've been his where they were searching under the ice. I remember they're, okay. they're talking the, 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 there was a search where they were specifically talking about searching under the ice. I just, 
But yeah, but there was also a woman who told her that a man, she was told by a guy that basically him and a friend had pushed him up, uh, Jordan off the bridge or off a bridge. But we don't, for all of these, there's no right. clear answer as to what happened to any of them. Is Jordan the one that might have been mistaken for essentially a gang member? Yes, because his last name is Wabase. And there was, oh, yeah, that's right. Because there was another Wabase, but he wasn't mm-hmm. related to him. And then someone. And it was spelled like slightly differently. Yes. And then. Like so slight that I missed it upon the first reading. Yeah, like, well, same. that's his name. Yeah. And yeah. And they w- But then he says that he's actually not part of a gang. Right. So he doesn't know where that story came. The 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 real right. other guy. So who knows? Yeah, because like, oh, there was like several things that they attributed to him. And he was like, I none of these are true. Yeah. And, but they didn't like go find him for, I forgot about that. Yeah. Such a cluster. Yes. So after a five-year fight the chief coroner finally grants the inquest Mm -hmm. and the coroner brought in the Ontario provincial police to basically look at what the Thunder Bay police had done to see if they missed anything and though they did reject the idea of broadening the scope to include racism yeah I mm, it'll hold you up in court longer will it yeah, and then he was also like, it, it, if, it's a, if it's part of it, it'll come up, was basically the attitude. He was like, oh, okay. It began October 5th of 2015 and was finished June of 2016. But the thing, like, okay, this is a huge case. There are seven families involved. It's a lot of people that are demanding this inquest, right? Right. Where... Does the court put them, but in one of the smallest rooms in the fucking building? Yes. Like the disrespect. The blatant disrespect is. Yep. I mean. It's staggering. It's almost. Like if it was in a movie or a book, I'd be like, that's too much. You've crossed the line. It's too, Yeah. It can't possibly. This is too on the nose. And yes. God. So after was that eight months, mm-hmm. the jury made 145 recommendations, but the family still didn't have any answers because they're basically had, they said like four of the seven deaths were undetermined. Like they didn't, yes. they just, they don't know. And they like what happened. just basically kept being like, I don't know, accidental drowning. I don't know, accidental drowning. Right. <sighs> right. Now, Justin Trudeau does come up mm-hmm. and he does support the recommendations. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would cost about a billion dollars. But at least at the time that this was written, few of the recommendations had been carried out. This was written in 2017 for anybody yeah, who has so not, not that looked long it ago. up. Mm-hmm. Right. It had been, yes, because it was one year from the inquest. And this one killed me because it was, she noted how the Thunder Bay police at that point were still considering installing cameras along the riverbank. I was like, what is there to consider? All these kids are dying. Yeah. Why is that? What What is there to consider? Why is this a discussion? They were doing foot patrols, more foot patrols, though. Sure, but... So it's like, okay, great. I don't know. Like, it doesn't quite... 
implicate it doesn't implicate anybody i will say this book does a really good job of not being like Mm -hmm. we think that it's the police throwing kids or like we think it's these white kids in town or we think that it's you know kids that they live with doing this there is no implication she literally does not know because yeah we genuinely don't know um and i was going oh but like the things we can implicate Originally, I was going with, we don't know if the cops are doing this. But then that led to me being like, well, she is very, very good about not doing that. But you can blame the cops for not at some point being like, it's weird we have so many drownings. Right. It's a small town. Right. Right. Like, or at the very least... Do your job because the yes. argument against defunding the police where everyone's like, ah, what are you going to do if a crime happens? Okay, here's something. Yeah. Not a crime. The kid's missing. We don't know if there's been, we at this point, we literally don't know if there's been foul play, but someone's missing. Do your job. Yeah. Like, Stop acting like it's a, you know, they're not a minor. Oh, they, you know, kids run away. No, that's not your job. Right. It's not your job to decide that they ran away or that they were out partying and that's why they hadn't come home. It's your job that they are missing and that you need to investigate where this missing person is. Like, what are are you good for? Like, what are you investigating at this point? Right. Nothing. And in case you're wondering, like, huh, maybe this has calmed down. Maybe they figured it out. Maybe they're actually doing anything. No. There's been, I I haven't figured out like when the most recent one was, but in 2017, another teen drowned. Two of them. Yeah. Yeah. There was the 17 year old and then the 14 year old who I thought was visiting the area with his dad. So it was very unclear how either of them. The only one I remember is Tammy. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Josiah. Okay. Josiah Begg. Yeah. And actually they both disappeared on the same day. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And, like, the indigenous population, they're doing what they can. Mm-hmm. Like, they've done what they could do from the inquest recommendations to up to the point where, like, they need the money now. Right. Like, they need the actual funding to be able to implement yeah. these recommendations. Like, legally, they've done everything they can. You can't right. put this on them. How do you make someone pay attention and give you the money that they tell you you need? Right. To literally help save lives? Yes. Yeah. We do get the very end of the book. She gives us a little update on where basically the 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 survivors of these mm-hmm. of the seven fallen feathers, like where they each are. And we do also get to find out what seven falling feathers refers to. Obviously, we know it refer, ref, refers to these seven um, young people, but it was because of Christian, Kyle's dad. Mm-hmm. That all during this, he kept hearing the seven dead, the seven dead children, the seven dead students. He was tired of hearing his son and the other kids or young adults being referred to that way. So he set out basically just on a, he laid out a huge canvas and started painting. And it ended up being the seven fallen feathers. Each of the seven in profile with his father, Kyle's grandfather, essentially like guiding him and the rest of them into the afterlife. Um, and if you're wondering how cool this artwork is, check mm-hmm. out the cover of the book. Yes. Uh, 
It really is a beautiful cover. Yeah, it really is. Oh, for a book that definitely like shed a lot of light on things that I didn't know right. about. A lot of devastating things. We didn't even talk about the 60s scoop. No. Like, God. This, I, so for that, it's basically from the 60, 1960s to the 1980s, tens of thousands of indigenous children being just stolen mm-hmm. from their families, placed in non-indigenous homes, and then adopted by white families in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. So, literally stealing children yep. from their yep. families. And again, not that long ago. Mm-mm. We're not talking... 1960s. Yeah, we're not talking, like, doing this back in the 1700s. Right. Still not okay. Yeah. No, but, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> recognize how close this... God. So right. bad. Well, it's like people seem to think the civil rights movement here... That's true. ...in the U.S. happened, hundreds, like, millions of, years, of ago, years ago. So, we're, like, post-racism. <laughs> Although I haven't really heard that after Obama was no longer president. Because that was the, like, yeah. oh, God, we're probably a black president, so the racism doesn't exist here. That's true. Okay. And then what happened after his eight years were yeah. up? His two his two sessions were up. Come on. That, yeah, there was also, they, one of the kids, like, had stuff thrown, or uh, a lot of the kids, it was more like, just mm. in general, but like, stuff thrown in them, go back mm. to where you're from. Like, literally here. Literally from here, your people came over here, stole land, shoved me mine up to reservations. Like, it's insane. It really is. Like, it is something that we are kind of taught, at least how I remember being taught in school about uh, colonizing, you know just like oh we you know we gave them great land but they sold it to us sure and we're like but it's like we let them keep how this. do you give something to some if if right. the rule is that if you like conquer the land like if you claim the land as yours and it's yours doesn't that just mean that this was theirs when you fucking came here how do you give them something that's already there they're not <laughs> cultured enough to understand what they oh have my god but it is taught as something that has been more or less resolved if you also ignore the fact that, you know, the rampant alcoholism is a problem with uh, Native Americans uh, because reservations and also, like, don't look at what they did with COVID and, and stuff. But that's kind of how it's taught. Where it's like, and this was done a long time ago. Please ignore the fact that we are still terrible to right. people. Right. Which, okay. Another example of that is the water. We talked about how a lot of, they don't have properly running water clean like sewage systems like they don't have that um winnipeg was using an aqueduct that to take water from the northwestern ontario indigenous community of shoal lake 40 they had been under shoal lake 40 had been under a boil water advisory for like 20 years at the time that this book was written yep and would they have needed that if maybe winnipeg hadn't been stealing the clean water maybe not maybe I, it's just the very very beginning yeah she tells us the story of i'm probably going to pronounce it wrong so i do apologize nana bijou who was a giant that the 
Ojibwe people lived with, and that he told them to never tell the white man the secret of the silvery metal yes. in the rock, and that telling them would cause just catastrophe, and he would not be able to protect them. And so they kept their word, but then, oh, I can't remember how it went, but basically they took in another man who befriended them, learned of the location, stole some, but got caught by white men who got him drunk to learn the secret. And then Nana Bijou turned to stone. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. This book isn't going to give you good feelings. No. But it is, I think, necessary to read. Yeah. And like I was explaining that I was reading this uh, when I had lunch with a friend the other day and I said something along the lines of like I don't remember exactly what I said but he looked at me and he goes was or is? I was like what? (laughs) He goes did they do it in the past or is this still ongoing? And I was like oh no this is still going. (laughs) Like yeah. This is not this is not done. He's, yeah. This is not resolved. We don't have a happy ending on this. No. Yet. Right. But at the same time, we, at the very least, even if they figure out the drownings, Paul's mom's never going to know. Right. Robin's parents, well actually Robin's parents yeah. know what happened, but they don't know the why. Right. She wasn't taken to the hospital. Right. But Jethro, Kyle, like, yeah. how did they end up in the water? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like occasionally uh, investigative books or something will come out and then the answers turn around and come out quickly. Like, I feel like that happened again mm-hmm. recently. I know it happened with the Golden State Killer. Yeah, yep. Uh, but I feel like there's something even more recent. So part of me is kind of hoping by this having come out in 2017 maybe in the next year we can finally get some answer I'd love that yeah (sighs) any last thoughts no no same just that it is like you said important Mm -hmm. and necessary to read and also just because as I mentioned, my grasp of history is not great. And but we did talk about how this was definitely not taught in schools. Right. It does just make me want to go seek out more. Not right now, but yeah. definitely makes me want to definitely, you know, seek out more uh, investigative works like this. Other hi- like history that's not um, whitewashed or with uh, rose colored glasses. Very much so. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So before we get into what we're reading next for the podcast, what are you going to read next that's not for the podcast? That is an excellent question. I know I had an answer to it. You did. We both did. We did. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So there's this thing called buddy reading. Not that Stephanie and I know anything about that, but it's where you read a book with a friend and maybe sometimes you read it for a podcast and maybe sometimes you just both get the same book of the month. And find mm-hmm, it too mm-hmm, fascinating mm-hmm. not to read. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. What book is that? So yeah, we have the same we have the same answer. Uh, Fifty Six Days by Catherine Ryan Howard, which, as Megan mentioned, we both did for our book of the month. I was at first like I can't I don't want to read this. Mm-hmm. But then as I read the summary, I was like, okay, I need to know. It's I agree. Like the f- fifty the first like marketing thing I saw of it or whatever was just like COVID. And I was like, no. Right. That's exactly no. right. Like they this 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 man and woman meet the same week that COVID hits Ireland. They're in Dublin. And when lockdown threatens, they're just like, well, you know, what do we do? So they move in together. But then at the end of the 56 days, there's a dead body in the apartment. I'm just like, okay, did she kill him? Did he kill her? Did they kill someone together? I really don't want it to be that he killed her. She can kill him. I just, I need for men to fucking chill. (sighs) But yeah. The cool thing is that assuming that my actual um, editing and releasing plan goes well, which it will. We will be talking about that book, not as our actual episode, but like discussing it. Um, let's see. Assuming all goes well on August 5th, this book will be for purchase on the 17th. Like it's not officially out Ooh. yet. Okay. So we're going to be talking about a That's book right. and recommending people a book that they'd have to sit and I don't know I just find that really cool like something yeah. is going to come out soon the anticipation yeah. <laughs> so. so we have the same not for JBC and obviously the same for JBC yes. <laughs> what is our Which next is, prompt it is to read a book with a cover that you don't like and now I'm going to be very honest here <laughs> Megan and I had this when we made our own challenges mm-hmm. and I feel like we skipped it because we just couldn't figure out a cover that we didn't like we were just like, okay, I guess this one's fine. Yep. I don't love it, but it's, I don't hate it, yes. right? So because Book Riot has suggestions for each, for this one they had um, like book cover types, mm-hmm. and one was movie tie-ins. Which we both agreed that, well, we don't hate them like some people do. We don't like them, yeah. and we prefer to buy right. covers that are more original than a movie. Right. Give me the one before the movie. Yes. Don't put their faces on it. Exactly. None of that. And I like that we've kind of combined this with something we've done in the past, which is you're reading a book of a movie that you have seen, but haven't read the book. many times. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Whereas you have seen the movie and read the book. Yes. Uh, But it's been a while since you've read the book, correct? Um, It's been a couple years because I definitely read it. it, it, It's one I read when I was like 24, like young 20s. Because I remember for my 25th, we go to the restaurant that she gets the steak from. Ah. And then uh, I read it in my early 30s because I do actually really enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. And re- we'll talk about it. My taste in this book and my opinions on this book changed a lot. Ah, so. Which I'm so interested to yes. see like what mine just are now because I don't have a frame right. of reference. And then curious to hear what yours are today versus what they were then. So what book is it? (laughs) We're going with (laughs) The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Which I'm very excited for. And I'll probably end up watching the movie again. Oh, definitely. I was going to watch the movie. I don't know if I'm going to do, I don't know which one I'm going to do first. (laughs) But I am excited. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I feel like this is, we're both two, we both have jobs. Uh, we both mm-hmm. work in a corporate environment. So mm-hmm. I think it'll just be fun to talk about, like, remembering going into that environment and, like, yeah, we'll talk about all of it. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very excited. Yes. Very excited for that in two weeks. All right. So is there anything that you would like to plug? Not really. Uh, You can find me on my other podcast, which is Minds at Yerk. Um, We just watched the movies The Host, um, which is a Stephanie Meyer book that we read (laughs) years ago for this podcast. And I'm glad we didn't watch the movie then. And then Slither, which is a James Gunn movie from 2006. Is Nathan Fillion in that? He is in that. They are both uh, very similar to the Yerks from... Animorphs, so that's why we watched them. Nice. Yeah. What about you? Anything to plug? Uh, nothing to plug right now. Uh, you can just find me here at Judging Book Covers. So you can find us at JBC Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. And then we're also members of the Certain POV Network, so don't forget to check us out there. You can go to certainpov.com, check out other nerdy podcasts. There's lots of good stuff. There have been new people, or new podcasts, I should say, added to the network so there's more book podcasts now video games movies all sorts of stuff so check us out there you can also find a link to our discord at the website which again is certainpov.com so feel free to jump in and say hi and in the meantime keep supporting your local libraries and independent bookstores and we'll see you in two weeks with the devil wears prada